open your Bibles with me if you would. You can see on the screen several passages. We'll start in the Gospel of John. One of the last in the series, Christ in the Old Testament. And you can see that we're going to be talking about Christ in the characters of the Old Testament. We talked about the theology of Christ in the Old Testament and actual pre presentations of Christ in the Old Testament. We'll finish off with Christ in the characters. So when you read the stories in the Old Testament, sometimes you can see a reflection of what Christ is doing. And sometimes Old Testament stories were written as they were to point to Messiah coming. So, uh, you know, and this is a relevant issue in our culture. And the way Jesus has affected our politics and everything about us is pretty profound. So you'll be interested to find some of that out today. So John 5, then you can see Hebrews 10 and Genesis 7. As always, we begin with a word of prayer. And first of all, I want to be thankful for what a great job Dave Scott did for me in my absence last week. When I go on vacation, when I'm not here, I, I know that Dave's going to do a great job. And of course he did. So let him know how much you appreciate him because I do. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. As always, all the normal things, life itself, laughter, music, creating us to love and to be loved. We thank you for all these things, Father. And this week, we take special moments and efforts to recognize your gifts to us, and we give thanks. Father, each of us live in the greatest land that has ever been. We eat without concern. We sleep knowing that we'll be safe and in comfort. We drive in comfortable vehicles on good roads. We go to good doctors and have good health care. Father, we understand that you have gifted us with these things. Thank you, Father. You have worked through wars and battles and the sacrifice of good and godly people to give us victory over our enemies, to keep us safe and secure. Father, we thank you when we look at the way so much of the world has to live because of the evil around us. We realize how privileged we are. Thank you, Father. We give you the glory and the thanks for all these good things. Even as we say that, Father, we recognize that in your goodness, you love us in spite of our sin. Father, forgive us. We are selfish and full of lust. We are angry. Sometimes we're apathetic. Forgive us, Father. We ask for mercy and patience and the cleansing through Jesus. Lord, this morning we ask that you would work within our lives. Each of us have unspoken concerns. We pray for our health and continued blessing, of course. We pray for our family and friends. For those within our church that are struggling, we ask you to be with them. Some have lost loved ones. Others are facing life-changing decisions. Give guidance and wisdom and comfort. 
Help us, Father, to see how we can love others and make a difference in their lives. We pray that we would be able to share the love that is within us with other people. Help us to remember that we are all created in your image. So in spite of differences that tend to separate us, you want us to love others. Help us, Father. It isn't easy and it's not natural. It is easier to hate, easier to avoid, easier to dismiss. Help us to do the hard things, Father. Help us to love and forgive and embrace. As always, we pray that you would be with our first responders in all their capacities, doctors, nurses, policemen, firemen, EMTs and such. Protect them in their duties. Give them the ability to do what has to be done. We pray for their safety, the comfort of their families. Use them, Father. As always, Father, we thank you. We follow you. You're the only one for us. Give us faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're kind of in a hard spot, Americans. We have this thing called a constitution and a separation of church and state. They have that concept that our church is here and our government is here. And even though there is an influence going back and forth, we know we, we can't have a government that serves a particular religion. Uh, for the main reason is it just doesn't work. Every time the church has gained control of government, it's been a massive failure all around. Every time any religion has gained control of a government, it's been a massive fail. So we know we don't want that. At the same time, we know that sometimes our government needs guidance. You watch with horror the news every night of the bombings in Israel and Gaza. You know, it's hard for us to imagine. Tammy and I were watching the news yesterday, and you've seen those images of children caked with dirt being dug out of a building. Have you seen all of that? And we have these biblical convictions as Americans out of our Christian heritage that the Israelites, Jews, are God's people. We believe that. And so they are our allies, not just because of that, but because they are a democracy, the only one in that part of the world. So they're our allies. At the same time, we're smart enough to see that there are Palestinians who are innocent so we're torn, who do we support? And so we have this ongoing thing going on with the idea that we, we must side with Israel. And so we're hesitant to say pray for Palestinians, even though the biblical teaching doesn't worry about those divisions. So I was thinking this week, where do we end up with this mess? And why can't we speak clearly? And we look to Scripture. Scriptures teach us. They teach us how to think and feel. And, and by the way, those are things that you learn. You can learn to interpret situations correctly from a godly perspective. God can help you love others. He can help you get rid of that angst of feeling guilty and all those things. And he can teach us. So we turn to Scripture. And I'm not going to talk much about the politics of all this we've talked about. The essence here today is when we read Scripture... We see the character of Christ. So the Old Testament stories 
referenced by Abraham and Noah and all those. Those are one of God's ways of teaching us about Jesus. So I thought I would start with a video on a light-handed side that might get you in a mood to talk about some scripture. Debbie? Reading the Bible is a great way to learn about God and how we should live our lives. Unfortunately, many Christians don't understand the importance of reading the Bible. They think it's more important than it is. You see, while the Bible is a great source of information, God doesn't really care if we read it or not. If He had wanted us to know the truths contained inside the Bible, He would have put them in an entertaining TV show instead of a really thick book. Many Christians think that you should read the Bible regularly if you intend on living the Christian life, but they are completely wrong. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to read the Bible. So read it if you want to, but don't feel obligated to because you can live a perfectly Christian life without reading the Bible. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. So I hope you can see the biting sarcasm there. Our country is awash with talking heads who practice this video's teachings, don't they? They reference scripture and they say something completely unrelated to what the Bible actually teaches. And so uh, this video is making fun of people like that. Now I know you're not like that, hopefully. You recognize that the Bible is a wonderful book given by God for the purpose of you reading, study to show thyself approved unto God. So forget the video, okay? God wants you to read scripture. But I thought it'd get us down from that heavy stuff and, to, and wake us up just a little bit. Study the scriptures. So today we're going to talk about how in the Old Testament, when we read scripture, God teaches us. The Old Testament stories can give us insight into the life and ministry of Jesus. So if you would, turn to chapter 5 of John. John chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 39. Jesus talking. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? So this is Jesus talking. And he's talking about the fact that they gain approval from everybody else, trying to get everybody else to pat him on the back. And yet, they seem not to care about what God actually wants them to do. They go through routines or rituals. They do things their way, completely ignoring the teachings of Scripture. So Jesus said, listen, you don't appreciate me, and I'll paraphrase here, but look what Moses did. So he references the Old Testament character Moses, who talked about coming Messiah. He referenced the Pentateuch and Deuteronomy and other books. And Jesus knew, and so did his hearers, that the Old Testament was full of stories, particularly by a man named Moses, whom they revered. And within those 
letters, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. There were many stories about Messiah, and it was already out that there was this rumor that Jesus was Messiah. He had made some claims. So when he said all this, he was punching him in the gut, saying, listen, you say you believe in Scripture. Why don't you pay attention to what it says? Scripture was the Old Testament in Jesus' day. Remember that. Jesus did not have the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. Only, for dec only until decades after Jesus ascended into the Father did Paul and others begin to write the New Testament. So whenever Jesus referred to scriptures, he was talking about Old Testament. And he said that the Old Testament spoke of him. So Jesus had this notion that if you believe Moses, you would believe in me because he wrote of me. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me. Jesus wanted them to understand that he was that prophet, Messiah. You see, he was pointing to the Old Testament story saying, listen, if you would just read scripture, you would learn of me. So, everything about Jesus is salvation, right? I mean, Jesus didn't take political stances. Jesus didn't deal with all kinds of social issues. Generally, Jesus talked about people getting saved. People getting saved, people living lives of faith, people helping other people in the name of God, and those kinds of things. He was very focused on that issue. So any story that talked about Jesus, Messiah, in the Old Testament, by default, is a story about the coming salvation. And people missed that, of course. You see, what happened was, the priesthood, after the captivities, began to say, okay, we've got this religious stuff, and, uh, you know, everybody beats up on us. We've been into captivity, and we're never going to be powerful. Let's reinterpret those scriptures. And instead of Messiah becoming one that would come to lead them to God, they interpreted, reinterpreted those scriptures. And this was a conscious decision to reinterpret biblical material to say that Messiah would be a political leader. And he would come and he would kill the big bad Romans and they would establish a rule for Jews in Jerusalem and they would rule the world for the rest of their lives. And that was their interpretation. Now Jesus was up against a, a huge thing. This was a cultural adaptation of scripture. And it was from the top down, the priesthood bought into this. And in fact, as they had been into it so long, about 400 years at this point, that they could not even imagine that Messiah was somebody like Jesus. Have you ever wondered how God acts? It's amazing, isn't it? We come up with these ideas. Well, this is how God would act because this is how I would act. When you are a besieged people... And the Roman government was oppressing you and taking your money and taking your women and doing whatever. You would interpret scripture, probably, to bring someone to kill those people. We see that today, don't we? See, there's that political thing. And so it's easy to see how Christians can, using scripture, come up with an idea that is totally unrelated to what the Bible actually says. Because that's what God's people were doing in Jesus' day. For them, Messiah was a military ruler that would kill bad guys. Bad guys being Romans at that time. And they missed it. So here's Jesus, not a soldier, not a warrior, not a fighter. In fact, it's just the opposite. He was kind and compassionate. He hugged children. Oh my God. Do you know that men did not hug their children in public in those cultures? 
children should be seen and not heard. Children for, for the women folk. And yet Jesus did this radical nonsense of getting on the ground and wrestling with kids and they loved him and they laughed. And Jesus wasn't serious all the time. He laughed. He was known and his people were known for being people who laughed all the time. Early in the morning they were laughing. They thought, people thought they were drunk. Jesus wasn't anything like the Messiah that they thought he should be. And so Jesus is here saying, listen, Moses wrote about me and you still don't believe me. So what we have to do is try to figure out how those stories in the Old Testament talked about Jesus. So this next idea is the idea that the stories and practices of God's people were foreshadowed through the coming Messiah. So if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Kind of a hard book to study and I know one of our classes went through the book of Hebrews and it's a hard book, it is. So when we read those Old Testament stories, some of us read those old stories and it's just dry as dust. And that's how I was when I grew up. Dry as dust. I went and I went to college, preacher's college, and all I wanted to do was preach Jesus and him crucified, which by the way was a New Testament message. I had almost no use for the Old Testament. So God played this trick on me through the wonders of disorganization, I ended up in three classes on Old Testament studies my first semester by the same guy, this wild-eyed evangelist who preached nothing but Jesus out of the Old Testament. And I knew I was going to die. And what that guy did, Gary Galliotti was his name, was he forced me to see that the Old Testament was literally full of stories about Jesus. So that's the question we have to ask. When we read an Old Testament story, how can we see Jesus? Because he's there throughout. So what we do, we read scriptures, and, and the scripture teaches us this in Hebrews chapter 10. If you would, follow verses 10 through 14. Barnabas writes, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, and waiting from that time until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So you see what the author does. He's talking about the priesthood in verses 10 and 11. How, and this is the priesthood that they understood. This was the way God was working. And they took this literally. They would sacrifice animals. Goats, bulls, doves, whatever. And they would sprinkle it on the altar. And the priest would say incantations and prayers. Certain days and those kinds of things. And that act would cleanse them of sin. Now, everybody didn't understand that, but in, in that cultural milieu, in those days, people had the understanding that if you did something wrong, somebody had to pay. And so they slaughtered animals, and by the way, everybody did this. This wasn't just a Jewish practice. This was a worldwide religious practice. Slaughter animals for the sake of religion so God would love you. And that was the model. So they did that, and by Jesus' day, it had become code. If I slaughter animals, God cleanses me. Now the crazy thing is, it never occurred to them that their heart was supposed to change. You know, we have this understanding that you repent of sin, that your heart 
changes when Jesus cleanses you. That didn't enter into mainstream thought in Jesus' day. In the Old Testament, they just slaughtered animals. So Barnabas here, and I think Barnabas wrote this. Others will fuss. It doesn't matter. Barnabas says, look at verse 11 again. Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. See how he slipped that in? The old sacrifices didn't work. But then he says, verse 12, But he, referring to Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. The sacrifice that cleanses people of sin is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Now you know that you're good New Testament people. But when Barnabas wrote this, people were enraged. What? We believe that the animals, when they're sacrificed, when the priest does this, that we'll understand that sin, the price of sins is paid for. That's what they were taught. And so what happened was, people began to understand, and Jesus taught this, as did Paul and Barnabas and others, that the Old Testament system was merely to teach us that there was of necessity a sacrifice for sin. Barnabas said in verse 10, now those sacrifices really didn't work, but they taught you what does. And Jesus came and instead of producing a sacrifice day after day like the Old Testament system, the New Testament sacrificial system is the great high priest, Jesus, is sacrificed and the price of sin is paid once and for all. So that whole Old Testament system was not a sham, it wasn't fake or anything like that. It was a system to teach people how to think differently. Remember I taught you earlier that part of the tool of Scripture is to teach you how to think in godly ways. So this is one of those things. That sacrificing animals doesn't do any good. That giving sacrifices that people like to give and have a habit of doing may not work. But the sacrifice that makes a difference is the fact sacrifice that was paid on the cross through Jesus. So, how do we gain forgiveness of sin? I mean, that's, that's the issue, isn't it? That's what salvation is all about. A cleansing of sin and the gift of eternal life. That comes when you claim the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. See that Old Testament system, you're familiar with that system. You understand in some way, some vague way, that sacrifices are needed to pay for sin. And then the New Testament says this is how it works. The sacrifice of Jesus shed on a cross one time covers the sins of humanity. See, that changes everything, doesn't it? This is why I don't sacrifice animals in, in the altar. Aren't you glad? I am glad. Now, I like the smell of fresh blood when you slaughter an animal. That kind of, I kind of like that because it reminds me of supper and those kinds of things. But I don't want to do that at church. Some of you are hunters. You sacrifice animals and those kinds of things. You, you slaughter them and all those things. That's a good thing. Has nothing to do with faith. Faith is based on the one sacrifice, Jesus. See, that's an example of how the work of Jesus was foreshadowed in the Old Testament people's experiences. So we have to do this and read those old stories and try to figure out how God can speak to us through the Old Testament stories. One more. We'll, we'll look at one more story. So turn, if you would, back to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis Chapter 7. This is the story of the flood. You know the story, so I'm not going to read the whole story. But it is a clear story of 
God working through Old Testament peoples to teach us. Genesis 7. I'll read the first five verses. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seemed to be righteous before me all this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female, also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. And Noah did all according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Drop down to chapter one, 8, chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. That's verse 20. So chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Great story. I believe it happened. I don't know the details. Neither do you. I don't know the timing. Doesn't matter. So, the preacher said that when you read these old stories, that there is some way that they can reference Jesus. So how in the world can we see Jesus in this story? Because all you really see is God in anger destroying humanity and saving a family to start all over. So we talk in the New Testament about how faith makes a difference in those kinds of things. And we know that humanity was worthy of death in Noah's day. People were completely evil to the bone. God could only find one righteous family. So God punished them. They were worthy of death. But there was a family. Noah, it focuses on. He was the righteous man. And he was obedient. And he did those things that got him hated and reviled by all of his people. In fact, it had never flooded before where he lived. And so they thought he was a fool for all those decades they took to build that ark. And they knew he was just one harebrained religious idiot that was being stupid. And they, they mocked him for decades. And his children felt that pain. But he was obedient. This is what God wanted me to do. And I'm going to do it. And he sacrificed his reputation and his friends and everything. And through his sacrifice, God saved humanity. So the New Testament teaches us about Messiah. The scriptures teach us that Jesus was, hear this, obedient unto death on the cross. So in the Old Testament, Noah sacrificed his life and everything that was normal and acceptable in his life. And through his sacrifice and water, humanity lived. So, looking for Jesus, Jesus, a man, the man Christ Jesus, without sin, was sacrificed, wasn't he? And through that sacrifice, humanity is saved. And there it is. Paul goes at length tying the floods and the waters to the idea of baptism. 
the idea that there's something magical, not magical, but something powerfully uh, transforming about this idea of water baptism. And they tied it to new life in Jesus. Paul explained that, you know this, that when you go underneath the water, you know, we're Baptists because we baptize. When you do that, you go underneath the water proclaiming your faith in Jesus, that he was crucified and buried. When you come up out of the water, it proclaims that you believe in the story of Jesus and you will live a new life. And Paul crafted this narrative where Noah's sacrifice and the flood waters and the baptism and the life that is in Jesus was all tied together. And there are many, many books written on that. Very interesting. You, you, you imagine that. So that's another example, another Old Testament story that looks like it's just an old story isolated in and of itself. And that's all people saw for centuries. And then Jesus came along and it changed everything. And so if you remember when Paul got saved, he disappeared for several years. What he was doing is refiguring how to preach Jesus because all he had was the scripture, the Old Testament. And he said, I know that this Old Testament has to talk about Jesus. And he began to reinterpret those old scriptures and challenge the priesthood. And he would say, listen, we must learn these Old Testament scriptures. They tell us about Jesus in every story. So fast forward 2,000 years. When you read the Old Testament, from our perspective, you learn about Jesus. The idea of an obedient person of faith sacrificing themselves for the cause of humanity. That's Jesus. It's Old Testament stories and it's Jesus' example. And in that example, there is life. One last screen. The whole of Scripture reveals God as its source, Jesus as its main character, man's redemption as a primary goal. It's God's way of revealing his plan for us. So when you read the Old Testament, try to see how does this story talk about Jesus? It's not always easy. And not every story is like that. But it's there over and over in the Old Testament. So read the Old Testament and learn about Jesus. And sometimes you have to look at it from a New Testament perspective to see us. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. And the invitation is that you come and respond to the Christ who was presented first in the Old Testament. Follow Jesus and live. Why don't you stand with me as Nate comes and leads us. Nate. Let's stand and sing together. Blessed be Judy's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. I will remind you of the cookies and the short fellowship we can have after the services are over. Uh, just to celebrate the fact that you responded so well with the Operation Christmas Child. And we're just glad you're here today. And our called business meeting will start in about five minutes. So go out and grab some cookies and come back in. And 
Hopefully we'll get it before the game starts tomorrow, okay? You're dismissed. Judy, come to lead us in a prayer. Lord, we are so thankful to you for all you've given us. We pray that we will, you will be with us as we go into this week of Thanksgiving. Help us be extra mindful of your sacrifice and of the gift of our salvation. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.